Today's show is sponsored by CBT Nuggets. We know that Cloudcast listeners are curious about technologies, but how are you really learning to master the technologies needed to be a cloud expert? You know, when Aaron and I got started, we had to buy books, set up labs, find experts, and then hope something didn't crash. CBT Nuggets makes it easy to either get hands-on skills or get certified with the latest cloud technologies. Whether it's AWS, Azure, cloud automation, security, or app dev, CBT Nuggets has you covered. What I really liked about CBT Nuggets is the online instructors are both knowledgeable and they keep it interesting. Their courses have built-in test questions, virtual coaching to help plan your certification path, and I can always jump into a virtual lab to get hands-on at any time. Check it out at cbtnuggets.com cloudcast to sign up for a free learner account. This unlocks tons of great training, and you'll be entered into a drawing for a free six-month premium subscription. That's cbtnuggets.com cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to The Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well. This is a Sunday perspective show. Uh, we're going to kind of talk about a topic that, you know, I've kind of taken the other side of the conversation before on the show, as well as uh, I've had a chance to talk about it uh, on some other podcasts. Um, you know, it's something that we talk about a lot, which is, you know, kind of what are the various types of technical leaders? And I kind of got to thinking about this uh, because if you listen to show five, with Nick Weaver. You know, Nick is somebody who, you know, his career began as sort of on the end user side and very much the engineering role. Um, you know, he moved over to the vendor side of things. So he had to sort of change his perspective of, you know, how do I think about the people that I interact with? How do I help them? How do I bring value to them? And then he moved back to kind of the customer facing side of things as well. Um, but, you know, his role very much has changed as, uh, you know, kind of digital transformation, the internet, cloud, a lot of different things have changed. And it got me thinking about, you know, I get a chance to talk to a lot of different companies, both uh, in my day job, but also, you know, as part of this show, as part of people that reach out to us, we do some consulting stuff on the side and lots of different things. It really got me thinking about, um, you know, it's it's kind of important to understand the different types of leaders there are out there. Um, and we all know about kind of the the tech side, the vendor side leaders, right? The people who are, you know, you know they're, they're uh, endeared because they start a company, they, you know, have a big personality, they've done, created some amazing new thing, whatever that might be. Uh, but we don't really necessarily focus as much on kind of the, what I'll call the customer side um, sort of leaders, right? And, and there really are different kinds of leaders. And it's kind of important to understand what type of leader they are. Um, and what they mean by that is like, how do they think about kind of the vision of technology? How do they think about change? How do they think about the impact they have on their business? And so what I thought I would do in today's Sunday perspective is, um, you know, I, like I said, I've had a chance to talk to a lot of different companies in a lot of different statuses across a lot of different industries. So, um, you know, some more greenfield, some more brownfield, some, you know, in the middle of what they think is digital transformation, sometimes digital transformation is running them over. So what I thought I would do is take sort of, you know, a bunch of years of learning, kind of compress them into sort of three buckets and walk through what those three buckets look like. So I'm going to do that uh, right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a real-time monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and distributed request traces from your cloud containers and orchestration software. Track the health and performance of your dynamic containers, apps, and services with rich visualizations and machine learning-driven events. Datadog's cluster agent streamlines data collection from large container clusters and allows you to auto-scale Kubernetes workloads based on any metric you're already collecting with Datadog. 
To start monitoring your container clusters, sign up for a free trial today, and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit datadog.com slash cloudcast to get started. That's datadog.com slash cloudcast. Today's show is sponsored by O'Reilly. O'Reilly is known for its animal books, which have helped tech professionals stay ahead for over 40 years. Today, its online learning platform at O'Reilly.com takes learning tech to the next level. Sure, your teams get access to thousands of books and videos, but there's also interactive learning where they can get hands-on with tech like Kubernetes, Python, Docker, Java, and more in live dev environments. So they learn by doing, not just reading. With live online sessions, your teams learn from the biggest brains in AI, software architecture, cloud, data, programming, and more. They can even prep for tech certification exams with official materials and interactive practice tests. And then there's O'Reilly Answers. You just ask the search engine any tech question and it takes you right to the best answers from O'Reilly's renowned books. It's why 66% of all Fortune 100 companies give their teams O'Reilly Online Learning. Get a demo today at O'Reilly.com. That's O'Reilly. Com. And we're back. And folks, as we mentioned in the kind of the introduction to this, uh, you know, both Aaron and I have been around the industry for quite a while. Uh, it's a shorthand way of saying uh, we're probably a little older than the medium uh, age in terms of, you know, where we are in this industry. You can figure that out. Um, but, you know, with uh, with a little bit of age comes a little bit of wisdom. Uh, definitely comes with uh, a lot of, you know, you've seen a lot of things. And I think for us over the last 10 years or so, We've had a chance because we've always kind of positioned this show as something that is fairly forward-looking. Um, you know, we, we like to sort of say it's it's not sort of the, the everyday mainstream stuff that people are doing. It tends to be maybe a year or two years ahead of kind of where the mainstream is for customers. But it's, um, you know, we've realized over the years that, you know, the speed and the pace of technology has sort of been increasing. But one of the byproducts of that is we get a chance to talk to a lot of different kinds of companies, um, partially from our day jobs. Uh, we get exposed to stuff based on what we're working on. We're both on the vendor side of the world. Um, part of it is we get a chance to talk to a lot of companies because of the podcast. And, and oftentimes, as we talk to those companies, we will, you know, off the record, talk to them about their customers, their marketplaces, their experience. And then, you know, a lot of times we get asked independently to, to look at some stuff. And one of the things that we've learned over the years is that it really is important to understand what's the motivation, what's the mindset, what's the outlook of the people that you're talking to. Because a lot of times, you know, you think you're going in, you think you've identified what problem that you're trying to help somebody solve, or you try to understand what, you know, what their time frame is. Well, you know, are they looking at something in the near term, midterm, long term? What's their motivation? You know, how is this going to help their company? And you think you kind of have it figured out, but it really is important to sort of understand kind of the group that you're talking to, but most importantly, the leader that you're talking to, because so many times the leaders will dictate where things are going, uh, but it also dictates, you know, what their motivations are, uh, you know, how far into the future they're looking, what are their individual ambitions versus, you know, how they align to their corporate ambitions. And so what I thought might be sort of interesting today, um, you know, like I mentioned at the top, sort of as we followed on to talking to Nick Weaver, who as we mentioned, you know, we've been lucky to have hundreds of, of guests on the show. Nick just happens to be one that we really think his uh, his journey over the last 10 years has sort of mirrored what we've seen uh, a lot in our industry. So uh, we like to sort of stand, hold him up as, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, someone to to look at uh, and, and kind of study, if you will. But 
you know, we get a chance to talk to a lot of people. So what I thought I would do is sort of break this down into sort of three buckets that I always have in my mind as I'm talking to different people, trying to understand their perspective, their motivations, their view of the industry, their view of their current jobs, and so on and so forth. And I break them down into really three groups. Uh, One of them is what I'm going to call visionaries. The next one is what I'll call maintainers. And the last one is what I'm going to call resume builders. And you know, there are different ways to look at this. I think, uh, you know, years ago, we used to call them, uh, or at least there was a, a kind of a thing that went around called PST, Pioneers, Settlers, and uh, and Town Planners. And I think what we've seen over the last five, six, seven years is some of that is still framed up. It's the same. Uh, there's some links in the show notes to some other conversations we've had about that sort of PST framework. Um, but in this one, I, I kind of want to talk about it in a little more of the context that we have now in 2020 and 2021 and 2022. And so let me sort of start with this. I'm going to start with visionaries or what I'll call transformers. So I'll give you an example of this. I had a chance to talk uh, you know, a couple of years ago to somebody who was uh, was in the automotive industry. And they said, look, um, you know, you know us as somebody who, um, first and foremost, you would think of our brand as somebody who makes automobiles. We do some other things beyond that, whether it's in trucking or motorcycles or whatever it was. But it was like, hey, you know us as sort of an automotive company. And for the most part, you know the transactional model of us is you come to the dealership, you buy a car, we might finance it for you, you might buy it outright, and then we're sort of done, right? There might be a long-term sort of service relationship. And they said, but nowadays, you know, the way that people have an interaction with cars is so radically different. Um, and, I, and I kind of scratched my head and I said, well, what, I don't know what do you mean. Like, you know, is it, you know, there's not, it's like autonomous driving. And they said, no, 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 no. There's, there's so much of a different thing because of, you know, now it's, uh, you know, you may buy a car, you may lease a car, you may uh, rent a car for an hour or a day, right? Depending on where you live, you live out in the burbs, you, you're going to have a, a, a stronger relationship with your vehicle. If you live in the city, you may have a very transitive transactional relationship with the vehicle. And they said, we want to be part of all that. And they said, the second part was, you know, we used to sell to uh, like Hertz and Avis and the rental car companies. And now Uber and Lyft and, and ride sharing companies have sort of blown up that market. And so not only do we have a different relationship with uh, with what you pick up at the airport or how you might do a temporary type of thing, but also the relationship we have with those companies, as well as the drivers of those companies, because they treat their drivers differently than they did with rental cars. And, and you know, they said there's this whole very, very different industry in terms of sort of the life cycle of a user's experience with a vehicle, but also the life cycle of the vehicle, who the buyers might be, how long they might be. And they said, what this means is we now go from being in two or three businesses, you know, sort of the financing of dealerships and financing of vehicles to about seven or eight different dealerships, you know, some or seven or eight different business relationships, which is, you know, us and the driver, us and an Uber, us and, um, you know, the sort of secondary market, us maybe being able to insure the driver for that hour that they rented from whatever, us in a city. And it was really interesting to listen to this person explain all this because it gave me this really broad perspective that they understood their industry they understood the business, they understood the marketplace, and not just, you know, our car versus brand X, Y, and Z, which is oftentimes how companies think about things, but the bigger macro trends that were happening, you know, the different ways that people thought about transportation, how much they wanted to invest in a vehicle, how connected they want to be to the brand, what was the most important thing for them in terms of, you know, transportation versus mobility versus length of ownership versus how they financed it. And it was really a fascinating conversation. And so I lumped that type of person, the person who can step back from 
the pure technology, the pure bits of what they're looking at, you know, how to run servers or use the cloud and really say, are we going to be able to use technology to shape our business? Are we really people that are going to transform what we do? Or if the business tells us, hey, we're moving in these directions, that you're going to be able to stay a step ahead of them, two steps ahead of them, right? Be able to have, you know, interesting technology that's going to be pushing that envelope. And so I, you know, I put those people into this category that I call visionaries. I think they're very, inter- very interesting. They look at both opportunities. They understand opportunity costs. They understand the breadth of these competitive threats from their business, but also, you know, how do they take their brand, their uh, assets, their, you know, their, their financial might or, you know, uh, challenges and turn those into an advantageous situation. So, uh, you know, when you find those sort of people, they're not looking for purely technology decisions. They're looking for people to partner with them. They're looking for people to bring, um, you know, ideas, to bring them market data, to uh, experiment with them. So those are, those are always really fun ones. Um, you know, the challenge with them is obviously they've got to be able to find wins. Um, they're oftentimes going to be very open to the idea of the systems that we used to have in place before just aren't going to work anymore, right? They're not necessarily trying to bolt something new onto something old. So, you know, you've got to go into a mindset with somebody like that, um, try and become a peer to them, try and, uh, you know, become a partner with them, not just a vendor transaction situation. Uh, They're not purely looking for technology. Oftentimes they're looking for creative ideas. They're looking for new partnership opportunities. So they, you know, they want to take advantage of your ecosystem, your partnerships and all those types of things. So the visionaries are very, very interesting. Um, Obviously they're under pressure to, um, you know, to, to help with these new initiatives and so forth. But um, they're always a very, very fun uh, type of person to work with. Um, Usually they're risking their career by taking on this big vision, but you know, the payoff is, is oftentimes very, very big as well. The next one that I'll <clears throat> talk about is what I'll call maintainers or protectors, if you will. And, and this is, you know, kind of your, your classic uh, IT technology type of leader, right? They're the ones who will tell you that, you know, 80% of their budget uh, goes into keeping the lights on. Sometimes it's 90%, sometimes it's, you know, uh, 70%. And then somewhere between 10 and 30% is, is on innovation. Now, they would love to be a visionary, but they're always sort of defaulting back to focusing on re-optimizing that 70 or 80 or 90% of the spend. And they don't spend as much of their time, you know, how do you take advantage of the 10, 20, 30% that could drive your business, that could really reshape what your business does? And that means not only investing in the people around them, being willing to bring in outside talent with a new view on things, you know, being willing to say, hey, this new technology that came along it may not necessarily help us move that 60, 70, 80% forward, but what it can do for that 10, 20, 30% of us might really reshape what we do. They don't necessarily have enough vision to do that. And this becomes the big thing between sort of the visionaries and the maintainers is, you know, they're, they're tied to being afraid of kind of interrupting the things that work today, the things that everybody expects of the business. Um, the second thing is they tend to run sort of long-term RFI processes. They don't necessarily think about creating a mindset of, of incremental experimental scenarios, right? Like, um, you know, it's, oh, well, we're going to evaluate things. We're going to evaluate things. We're going to evaluate things. Then we're going to make a big choice, right? Sort of the, the waterfall way of thinking about what their future looks like as opposed to a more sort of agile thought process, not just agile development, but agile ability to experiment with new things, um, you know, treat your vendors and your communities as partners, not necessarily sort of vendors where it's a transactional 
emotional relationship. You're thinking about them as somebody who's going to, you know, help you figure out how to make that 10%, 20%, 30% really impactful. And then this, the last thing that I find about them a lot is, you know, they very much have a, a protectionist mindset, right? That you'll go in, you'll start talking to them, they'll begin to talk about sort of the visionary t- idea they have. And then it quickly falls back into, well, we want to avoid vendor lock-in. We don't, we want to, you know, make sure that, you know, we're not going to make a mistake that we made the last time around. You know, it was a, oh, we're tied into our database. Oh, we're tied into our authentication system. Oh, we're tied into our uh, automation system, whatever it is. So we're going to focus on no vendor lock-in. We want to focus on portability and and those types of things. And and those sound great, you know, at the beginning. Um, Obviously, we all know that the more, sort of lack of, lack of lock-in, if that even exists, uh, the less pure functionality you're going to get for any given uh, piece of a system. And then what tends to happen is they, you know, they sort of forget about sunk costs. They go, oh, well, you brought me an idea and it sort of checked those boxes of you know, not being tied to things, but how does it tie back to my old systems, right? So they, they're constantly coming back to this, this kind of uh, gravity, if you will, of the legacy systems and only integrating with those legacy systems, unlike the visionary who realizes, hey, this new opportunity, this new environment, this new partnership we have, this new market we're going to get into, those old systems just weren't built for this way of doing things. They weren't built for the speed. They weren't built for the flexibility. So, you know, oftentimes in those cases, it's going to be a more difficult situation, right? You're going to constantly be ping-ponging back and forth between the things that are new and exciting and trying to show them what's possible and them coming back and going, yeah, but does it do this old thing? Yeah, but does it do this other legacy thing? Will it integrate with my old stuff? And so you're kind of kind of have a lot of, um, you know, sort of dissonance between what's new and exciting a little bit and then going back to the old and a little bit new and exciting going back to the old. And so, you know, when you, when you, engage with those sort of leaders, you sort of have to have the mindset of, um, okay, you know, we, we're, we're going to kind of pacify a little bit of their excitement of what's new, but then we're also going to have to know that, you know, every release is always going to fall a little bit short. Every new capability you bring out is going to be a little bit short. And, and you just have to know not to become frustrated with that. Um, they're trying to do the best they can, but, um, and then sometimes, you know, there's an opportunity to educate them, right? Show them examples of other visionaries, show them examples of how they can grow their career, how they can uh, better communicate with their manager, their groups, their organizations about that 10, 20, 30%. Because quite honestly, they're probably not going to get promoted by being great at optimizing, re-optimizing the things that are sunk costs, the things that are the 60, 70, 80% of, you know, just keeping the lights on and so forth. So there's an opportunity um, as much as you're you're doing day-to-day transactional stuff, but to also, so kind of educate them, right? Show them what's possible. Make introductions to uh, to those other people that they may aspire to become, and you know, try and teach them how to move into those places. The last one uh, that I have on the list is what I'll call resume builders, and this is something that feels a little bit new. Um, obviously, everybody who works in the tech industry knows people that you know have bounced around from job to job. Um, you know, in some cases, it's it was a bad fit. In some cases, um, you know, people will call them kind of job hoppers or career seekers or so forth. Um, we see that a lot on the vendor side of things because maybe you were involved with something and the company didn't work out or the technology that you were working on kind of faded away. But what we see on the the sort of end user side of things, the customer side of things, if you will, is we're seeing sort of a new thing, right? We used to see like at the CIO level or the VP of of whatever level, 
uh, maybe five or six years, you would be around for really a big project, you know, a supply chain, an ERP project, an implementation of a brand new huge system put in place. And, you know, you do that for four or five years, uh, you would get recognized for it, you'd get it up and running, it would become operational, you kind of got it, you know, working, um, you know, where, to where the benefits were, were beginning to be seen. Um, and then you move on to the next company. And so you had an opportunity to go, oh, I can take that learning to another company in the same industry, another company in a different industry. And so you would see these sort of job hopping things, maybe after five or six years at higher levels. And you knew, you know, why they were getting hired, because they had solved the problem of the previous one. They were going to take on the same sort of challenge, probably make a little bit more money, um, maybe move into an industry that was more desirable. Maybe they moved from one that was low profit margins to one that was a little higher profit margins. And what I what we're seeing these days, um, especially with cloud computing, is we're now seeing this sort of two-year cycle where you see a lot of, uh, we've all heard of it, right? The, the CIO, the VP of whatever who comes along and says, we're going to implement a cloud-first strategy. Uh, we're going to move, you know, X percent, oftentimes all in or everything into the cloud in a finite amount of time. And more and more, it seems like it, it's this statement of we're going to move everything into the cloud within two years. And what you sort of realize in, in digging into these things, be, you know, when you start breaking it down, it's like, are there new things that would make sense in the cloud? Absolutely. Are there some things that you could lift and shift or easily modernize sort of same to same move into the cloud? Absolutely. What does that normally get you? Well, it'll normally get you somewhere between 20% and 50 or 60%, right? Depending on, you know, how basic of a sort of movement or a shift or a refactoring that you try and do into the cloud. But then there's the other 30, 40, 50, 60% that you're like, there's no way that you're going to be able to do that. And you're not going to be able to do it either because it's tied to hardware, it's tied to legacy software, it's tied to these strange you know, networking or security or storage requirements or regulatory requirements or location requirements. And, and you go, oh, okay, well, in reality, you're not going to get there. But they're beating the drum. They, they want to say they're going to do 100% of everything. They want you to help them with a plan to get to 100% of everything. And what you realize is, they're there to get that cloud thing or that new thing. Maybe it's a Kubernetes. Maybe it's a, you know, DevOps. Maybe it's a serverless. Maybe it's a, uh, you know, data warehouse or some other thing on their resume. And within two years, they're going to be able to learn the technologies. They're going to be able to do some prototypes. They're going to maybe get two or three of those important projects out there. They're not going to get everything, but you quickly realize like that's not really their goal. Right. They did an awesome job of being a visionary up front. They sold this to their organization as this is the wave of the future. I'm the person to drive this. I should be funded to make this happen. And you got to be a little bit careful because on one hand, you don't want to tell them they're crazy and you don't want to tell them that they're not doing what's in the right, you know, the best interest of the business. Um, but you also have to realize this person or maybe even the group that they have may not be around for past those two years. Right. And so you know, you, you've got to sort of put some, help them put some things in place such that even though you help them move certain things to the cloud or you help them transition certain things or prepare them to, you know, you don't want to necessarily be stuck when they leave and the, you know, the company that you're working with is sort of like, whoa, you know, we're in this limbo, we're in this transitional phase that we can't get out of in our systems, which were really important. We can't run them the way we wanted to. So, you know, this is another one where, you know, you very much, want to be educating, you want to, you know, help them understand uh, what part of what they're doing is very visionary. Um, you know, you want to, you want to help learn with them in terms of what's the best way to move them so that, 
they're going to have the portion that they're working on for, say, those couple of years to be really successful. Because at the end of the day, even if you know that person's leaving, they're really resume building, you want their you know, their organization to be successful, right? You never want to sort of help somebody go down a path that you know is a, a dead end. <clears throat> and so, again, it, it's really important to understand all these different transitions, right? What's the time frame? Whether you're talking to a visionary, a you know, a maintainer or a resume builder, what time frame are they talking about? What part of it is realistic? What part can you help them from a technology perspective? What part can you help educate them, whether that's about the technology, about the industry, about other people who have gone down this path? Um, but it's really important to understand, you know, what's their motivation? And they may not always tell you, but you kind of have to pick up some signs here and there. You have to ask around. You have to, but you also have to be prepared again, even if you see one path going on, you know, you got to always be thinking, I'm going to try and make them successful and make them as successful as we can, even if they transition from one stage to a next. You also have to be prepared that, you know, even for all the great visions that are out there, the great visionaries that are out there, the great promises of technology, sometimes they're going to fail. And so you want to have some, some pragmatism built in as well. So anyways, I uh, hope this was helpful. Um, you know, like I said, uh, you're, if you're lucky enough to work with a lot of different companies, it's, it's, you know, it's truly an honor to, to help them transform their businesses. It's truly an honor uh, to be part of working with people who put themselves in the line and say, look, you know, I'm going to work on new technologies. We don't know if they're going to work. We've got mission critical systems. We're going to put ourselves in the line to hopefully, you know, make their businesses successful, help their customers, you know, get from point A to point B, transact business, whatever they're doing. Um, you know, and so it's, it's, you know, it's really very interesting to be part of those things. But in terms of trying to make everybody successful at the end of the day, it is really important to understand a lot of those other motivations beyond just which technologies you're picking. You know, what's their motivation? What's their time frame? What are their goals? You know, how can you help them? Um, how can you introduce them to people in industry, across industries, across ecosystems? And if you get a chance to do that, um, you know, that's a, that's, that's a win-win all around. So hopefully this was helpful to give you some perspective, you know, some of the things that we've seen over the last five years, 10 years on, on how to read situations and, and how to apply certain kind of good practices in terms of helping people be successful, depending on what they're trying to accomplish. So with that, I'm going to wrap up today's Sunday perspective. Hope everybody enjoyed today's show. Hope you've been um, enjoying the Wednesdays and Sunday shows. And also, if you've had a chance to tell a friend about Cloudcast Basics, uh, that continues to roll along. We're going to have a new one out probably in, uh, not not at the end of March, just because of some timing with spring break, but uh, we'll have one out probably in early April. So uh, if you had a chance to uh, tell a friend about that, we'd love to you know help grow the cloud class crowd grow the cloudcast community if you will <laughs> so uh, with that i'm going to wrap it up and we'll talk to everybody next week thank you for listening to the cloudcast please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows show notes videos and everything social media 